Be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to subject matter. You are listening to Romantic Truth with Josen, your host in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Let's talk about some of the differences couples may have initially. Let's start with the taboos that people don't like talking about. Sex, religion, politics. The three don'ts. When it comes down to starting a relationship. Now, these three subjects are very, very toxic for some people in that they may be very sensitive and very devout in their beliefs. Let's tackle sex first. Men are always discouraged from talking about or implying about sex at least during the early stages of a relationship. Now, a woman can lead with this without any regard, without any reservation. If she's horny, she hasn't had in a while, she's ovulating and got to the point where she just wants to be with a man, but not necessarily be in a relationship. It's her prerogative in that sense to pursue that and she usually lets the man know that it's all about that purpose and that purpose only and she may go so far as to tell him up front this is a one night stand this is a one time only and even though you have women that always talk about how they abhor the one night stand there are some women who kind of contradict it they may say they don't want that, but in essence, they may want it just for that gratification, just to get that tension out of their system. I see what we have to realize is that sometimes these women already haven't had sex for a very long time. And even dating someone, they don't want to come across like a loose woman or a whore so they hold out even longer. Well, this is a detriment to her a lot of times because she still has to get to know this guy. She still has to trust him. And so therefore, she might have gone three years without sex. Take for instance, she just got out of a divorce. And she'd been focused on trying to put things in order in her life before she could actually think about herself. Maybe working with the kids, that kind of thing getting over the emotional trauma of the divorce. And she doesn't want to make a mistake again. So she takes an approach where she's going to casualize her interactions. And so she may go on a dating app, dating site, just to meet guys, but she's not really looking for a relationship and will let the guy know that up front. That'll be a wait-and-see approach. Now, she doesn't want to get emotionally involved. Too taxing. She's already got out of the situation where she's finally closed the chapter on it. 
and going forward, she's not going to jump too soon. Now, what you will find is that women who have been through traumatic relationships are going to be a bit more timid and a little bit more cautious about going forward in another relationship. Some will have criteria and standards set that they don't expect the first guy, second guy, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth guy that they meet to even measure up to. So what happens? She may get with a guy that she doesn't have any expectations of at all. Now, usually this is where these relationships wind up is in the bedroom. When a person has no expectations of you whatsoever, they have dropped a bar for you. And some people get comfortable with that, thinking that, oh, well, this could possibly lead to something. More than likely not. Because they haven't vetted you. They don't put you in a category of being considered. And the easy access that you have to them is temporary. And it's usually for a specific purpose. In this case, more than likely sex. So she's not concerned about your family. She's not concerned about meeting your family. The only thing she's concerned about, and she'll keep the conversation focused on sex. How big are you? Send me a photo of this or that. How long can you last? Because she doesn't have any ambition for you outside of that purpose. Now, take for instance, she goes and she has sex with you. And it was a pleasurable experience. Now she's going to come back. But as she comes back, she's going to lay out certain rules. She may say, don't fall in love with me. I'm not your girlfriend. We're just friends. We're just fuck buddies. Well, what she's going to do is set the parameters. And what this means, fellas, is that you're not good enough for her no matter what you do. Your penis is, but you're not. So, instead of her using a vibrator, using her fingers, using a dildo, she just got a human dildo. Now, she may do something casual, like have some fast food with you. She doesn't want nothing elaborate, because she doesn't want you to get too romantic, romantically involved. So she's going to be kind of distant, kind of aloof. Because you're not the one she wants. You're the one she wants to sleep with. And your penis has more value to her than you do as a person, as a whole. It could be the very reason why she may not like you. You see this happen a lot with people who are with a white man, for instance, if she's a Caucasian woman for a boyfriend. But for someone in the interim, he may be a minority of some other race. He may be ugly. He may be somewhat handsome. It varies on what her preference is. But for the most part, the only thing she's concerned about is sexual gratification. And of course, we have the stereotypical rumors, right? She goes and has that taboo sex with a black man. 
and she likes the way he feels, but she doesn't necessarily like black men. She likes his penis. And you hear this old adage about once you go black, you never go back, which is a lie. They do. And so what that means then is that sexually, you're gratifying her. But she knows she can't take you out in public. She knows that she has a lot of explaining to do to society about being with a black man. So what she chooses to do instead, keep you on the down low. Friends with benefits situation. Until she can really get things going with the guy that she's with, who's more than likely going to be white, she's going to still screw you and have sex with you. And she wants to keep that door open so occasionally when she and this guy have some issues, she knows she has somewhere where she could be gratified. Now, many of these guys who fall into this position, the black boyfriend, you wind up becoming a 12 o'clock guy. She has fallen out with her husband or boyfriend. She comes to you. She lays up with you. She doesn't bring her problems to you. She leaves them at home. And she's just all about going, having the sexual gratification, and leaving. Because deep within her, in her soul, she's not attracted to black men. She's attracted to what a black man can provide her, sexual. Now, the other thing is, she'll warn you not to fall in love with her. Because if a guy does, she's going to fall back on that stereotypical view of you as a black man being a threat, being that criminal, being that person that she doesn't want to know beyond the bedroom. Now, some people would say, well, that sounds like she's racist. No, it sounds like she's more of a separatist without a backbone a contradictive separatist around her friends she's cracking jokes talking about blacks and minorities and yet the very thing she's talking about is the very thing she contradicts herself with by being with this man it's much like the guy who's hyper heterosexual and then he gets caught sleeping with another man Head fake. Now, what are some of the motivations? Some want to be sexually dominated by something that's taboo. They want to face their fears as far as stereotype. They're curious because a girlfriend had a black boyfriend. They just want to see what it's like. They want bragging rights to their girlfriends at some point about taking on 9, 10, 11, 12 inches. They want to have war stories about, oh, been there, done that. So this is the reason why some women don't want to go there with sex. This is the reason why some women will turn you down. 
In my dating experience, I've had several women of different races that I don't date black guys. And upon saying that, they still carried on conversations with me. And I didn't go anywhere as far as talking about a relationship with them. They didn't like black guys, and I had that respect for them on that. But in more often than not cases, they wound up wanting to hook. They wound up wanting to have sex. And then when you call them on their contradiction, they get upset. Sometimes they'll get upset because you don't put them on a pedestal and think that it's an honor to be with them. And as I told you guys and ladies, the worst thing you can do is put a person on a pedestal. That means you're trying to put them on a level of being beyond reproach. If you've been turned down by someone, someone tells you you, they don't like you for your race, and yet they wind up still sleeping with you, what you need to realize is you can't take them seriously anyway, and you damn sure can't trust them. And if you fuck them, you better be very careful not to get them pregnant. Because they're very nebulous. They don't have a backbone. They're going with the moment. You know, like the bisexual woman who tells the guy, well, I like girls, but I don't share. So they want to have it all their way. And this is one of the reasons why they don't want to bring up the topic of sex. Because, see, there are things that may be revealed that they don't want to reveal. You hear women talk all this stuff about oh I've been 12 years celibate like the one lady told me as if there was some kind of monumental achievement to keep her legs closed for 12 years she chose that for herself it didn't impress me I asked her why did you deny yourself like that why are you punishing yourself because what she was trying to do was correct all the mistakes in her past sexually with this epiphany of being a virgin or a pseudo-virgin, I should say. She's doing it for her own grandizement. It has nothing to do with anyone else. Patting herself on the back. I haven't given up this pussy in 12 years. But then I followed up and asked her, well, since a man hadn't been down there, have any other objects been down there? Vibrators, dildos, fingers. And our eyes grew big and she says, how dare you? I said, well, you're still having sex with somebody. You're having sex with yourself, so that still counts. But she was upset because that didn't impress me. And some people do it for their own marginal benefit now the other factor that we have to look at with this is that men also may bring up sex early we usually bring it up on the fifth date max 
Women don't start talking about sex usually if they've been married or in a relationship before. Up to seven to nine dates. And a woman who's pretty horny usually is about three dates. When a woman tells you, fella, she's a three-date girl, first dates to see, are you cerebrally stimulating? Second date, to see whether there's an emotional connection. Third date, to see if there's a physical sexual connection. Now, this is a pretty swift processing circle. And usually it averages out to 90 days, one date per month. That's not including the times that you guys are going out and nothing's happening between the two of you. It's those three milestones. Now, someone will implement the 90-day rule. And as I've told you gentlemen, the 90-day rule is bullshit. It meant something back in the Victorian era and before then when it was a situation where you had to go meet the family, they had to go and do your background check, check you out, and they were in horse and buggy, so it took a while. But reason why that was more evident and prominent in the Victorian era was because of the fact that people usually married closer to their age range than they had in the past. In the past, prior to that, it was not uncommon for a 40-year-old man to be with a 13- or 14-year-old girl to be his wife. And so, for you to get into the aristocratic families, you had to be more suitable. And they had to know about your family lineage, your background, and how it would benefit the family for you guys to start dating or to be together. And you had people that weren't wealthy and aristocrats that did this because they wanted to feel special. You see, a lot of people will go and try to take on the characteristics of the wealth as a way of stroking their own self-esteem to kind of feel better than they actually are and present themselves better than they actually do. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Now, the interpretation of sex is another thing that you have to deal with. See, there are some women that have a strata of sexual activities that would be permissible on dates and certain things that aren't. Now, when I talk about dates, I'm not talking about something where you've been dating this person for a very long time. We're only talking about one to three dates max. So she may think on the first date because you took her to dinner, that by giving you oral in the parking lot or at her place that that's compensation and she may not consider that sex so she may not have a problem with that but she'll initiate that and I tell you guys all the time let the woman initiate anything that happens sexually between you it's not because you're weak it's not because you're passive it's because you don't want to go to jail on an accusation. Now, 
the other thing. She may think it's okay if she has anal sex with you. Because being that it didn't go in her vagina, she may not consider that sex. She may look at it as a way of appeasing. And even they have different strata on that. She may just want you to put her put your dick between her butt cheeks. But not penetrate her sphincter. And there are others don't mind you penetrating that sphincter because you didn't get the vagina. So, in this way, they're placating you to keep you interested. But they're not ready to get to that point yet when it comes down to have you going to the vaginal. You'll find this with people who have religious beliefs. Um, They may have a situation where they're in an arranged situation of getting married to someone else. It varies. But a lot of times, they want to remain a virgin. You know, like for instance, in the Mormon religion, they have some people that are going around doing what is called soaking. This means primarily the woman can lay down on the bed, the guy lays on top of her, put his penis, his penis in her, but he doesn't move it, and someone maybe under a bunk bed can kick the bed up and down in order to create the motion of them having sex. So in other words, the philosophy is the person who is underneath the bed kicking it up and down so the guy goes in and out of the girl in the top bunk is actually committing the sin and not the couple that's having the sex. So there are various things. You may run across what is called a teaser. And this is a woman that may go on a date with you and after the date, instead of you having sex with her, oh, she'll kiss you and fondle you and play with you, but she'll masturbate and not let you penetrate, put your fingers in or anything like that, penis or anything. Because what she's trying to do is to, again, get your attention in a way where it's going to be good when I let you inside me. Showing you the goods. So there's an array of reasons why women avoid talking about sex. Because you can open up a Pandora's box on stuff. Especially if she's already got her hormones raging because she hadn't had sex in a while. Some of them are like runaway trains. Once they get started, they can't stop. And there are some women that deliberately don't want you to touch them. Hugs, those kind of things. Because it may stimulate them too much. Women with sensitive breasts is an example. they may wear extra padding on the bra just so that they won't be stimulated by you. Where they know if they felt the heat from your chest against their nipples, that'd be enough. 
others won't let you kiss them around the neck. They want you to only kiss them on the cheek, on the lips, because they know if you go to the neck and the ear, they probably can't control it. And it's going to stimulate them, make them wet, turn them on. You have others that don't want you to put your wet hand below their waist. Now, a lot of women don't want you doing this when you're dancing with them because it looks inappropriate. But there's some women that don't want you to do it even in private because it will stimulate them. It depends on where erogenous zones are. She knows exactly where they are. That's the reason why she keeps your hands away from those areas. And fellas, this is the reason why I say let her touch you first. Because once she feels comfortable enough, she'll guide you to that place. Now, something I'm going to tell you, ladies. If you tell a man that you guys are not having sex on the first date, and then at the end of that first date, you're ready to pretty much have sex and you're being provocative and you turn, you're leading him on, you're turning him on. Don't get mad if he tells you to honor your commitment by saying, hey, you know what? We're not having sex tonight because you said it early. Now, the reason why we do this in particular, we want you to contradict yourself. Because once you contradicted yourself, we know then that we can't trust you in a relationship. We could have sex with you, but we can't trust you. Because you can't hold yourself to your word. A lot of ladies do hold themselves to the word and say no sex and mean it. Some of you actually say that to get attention. I always tell you fellas, if she takes your hand, puts it somewhere, and it's feeling good to her, she tells you to stop. She's telling you to stop, and you should stop. Whenever she says no or stop, just stop and don't continue. Because here is the thing. Believe it or not, she's giving you the power when she she tells you to stop and you stop. You think that you're losing power by doing that. She's actually giving you more power than you think. Because here's the reason why she's asking you to stop. After she's initiated you putting your hand between her thighs or rubbing her clitoris or whatever. It's because of the fact that she knows good and well if you don't stop she's going to wind up having sex with you. And then you'll have too much control over her because she more than likely can't control herself on that. See, we would like to believe that these women are so rigid and prudent and self-disciplined. A lot of them aren't. So when you stop, when she says no and you, okay, I'm done. What she's going to realize then is that she's played the game too much. And you call it a bluff. I can't tell you how many times I had to drive back across town because a woman did that and I called a bluff on it. And yet she wanted to talk on the phone for two hours after I got back home from the date. I worked herself up to a frenzy where just come over, just bring some condoms and come over. Boy, you mean to tell me you let me waste that gas going back home to come back and see your ass? 
And sometimes I wouldn't. I'd just say, hey, you know what? I'll have to give you a rain check on that. And then she realizes that, you know what? She had fucked up. She had played the game too long. And then it also leaves a curiosity factor of, well, who is he with tonight then? Who's he going to go and see? Can't tell you how many times women have gotten their cars and coming over to my place. Out of that curiosity factor. Because, see, here's the thing with you guys, fellas. You wonder where, if she has any kind of virus or or regret, she did it. Because as men, we always get blamed for groping, going too fast, being too aggressive and too... When you don't fit that stereotypical mold, you're letting her desires prevail. I'll never forget one night I was with a lady... And we were really chumming it up right after a date. Got her to an apartment door. And she said, I would invite you in, but I better not. I said, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow. I get in the car, get ready to start it up. She runs over to the car, wait, wait, wait. You promise not to do something if you, I said, I'm not going to do anything. But what I didn't know at the time was she was trying to let me know, please don't do something. Because if you do anything, it will stimulate me. And I didn't. When I got in there, first thing she did, hopped in the shower, changed into her robe, and came out and wanted to cuddle. And we were cuddling and kissing. She opened up the robe, she was butt naked under the robe. Sometimes you'll hit all those three variables I tell you about. Cerebral stimulation, emotional stimulation, and intimate stimulation. And there's really no time frame on it. But usually most women will take three dates before they do it. Now, a woman that's looking for disposable sex, that's a whole different animal. She doesn't really care about you as much. You might even meet her in a bar. And she may cozy up to you and become very patronizing. Wanting to be under you. And then, for instance, she tells you something like, well, let's go somewhere a little bit more quiet. And you're thinking that you guys are going to talk. Or she may want to take you out in the parking lot to her car. Maybe suggest going to a motel or going to your place. Now, in this case, these women will usually not tell you where they live, not tell you much about them. You probably won't even know their last name. They may be married or in a relationship. But whatever it is, it's a clandestine rendezvous. And usually they don't want to see you after they do this. So it's a one-time only. They're not going to tell you that. They're going to go like, they're your girl. But in actuality, they could be revenge cheating. Wanting to have sex because her boyfriend cheated on her. Or wanting to have sex because she hadn't had none in a while. There are various reasons. But here's the thing. 
she's looking at sex with you from a carnal sense. In other words, she's looking at deep thrusting, penetration, all of those things. And then after it's done, she's not going to really hang around for a conversation. See, a lot of women like cuddling after sex. And usually what you'll find is women who want to cuddle, they want a relationship. These type of women don't want that because they don't want to humanize you. They want you to be something just like they paid their token for a damn circus ride. They just want to ride the dick and then after that leave. And these are the very same people that won't speak to you next time you see them. They will ignore you. They may even be with their boyfriend. Like nothing happened. This is the reason why they become so generic. Now, these are the same kind of women. If they got pregnant, oh boy, you catch hell. These are the same kind of women. If they get caught by their husbands or boyfriends, will swear up and down you rape them. So you got to be careful with these type of women. If she's being provocative with you in a bar, club, or wherever you are, make sure the people notice the two of you together. Take pictures together, like on your selfies. Because that's going to save you in the end. So just in case she hollers about you just assaulted her and you were a stranger. I say, now wait a minute. If you were such a bad dude, why are the two of you taking selfies and pictures together? This is another measure to help protect you guys. Now, some of these women will use sex as a weapon. So, they'll give you the promise that, oh, it's going to be so wonderful, but first got to get to know you better and we'll start dating. Keep one thing in mind, fellas. When you hear that, I want you to start looking at your wallet and seeing how much money you're paying out to be in her company, because that's what you're doing. So, take for instance, you go on your first date, you go to the coffee shop, you spend 40 bucks. Second date, you go to the movies. All right, she wants something a little bit better. Third date, you go and take her out to dinner. All right, fourth date, you guys are going to some event, concert, or something like that. Fifth date, you're taking a cooking class. Now, here's the danger. If you don't see a closer bond between the two of you as far as a relationship... As you're going through these stages, what she's doing is just putting milestones out there for you and that's it. And you're not getting any affection back. Start closing your wallet. Because there's some women that get a thrill out of the companionship with the guy. Even if you're not the right guy for them and they know it. They're going to give you the allure and the possibility of having sex with them. But they're never going to give you the commitment of doing it because you're not the guy for them. They won't tell you that. They're going to try to lead you on. And before you know it, six, seven, eight weeks down the road. And if you mention something about intimacy or trying to be intimate with them, they'll shun you and then try to shame you. 
and make you feel guilty. Oh, that's all you wanted me for was sex anyway. But yet, she's not looking at the finances that you paid out for her to be comfortable with you. But she's going to carry that out for the longest. Now, the reason why a lot of women do this is because they know they're no good in bed. The pussy's trash. And this is why a lot of them do it, specifically. They won't tell you this. But this is why. A lot of times they hate sex, but they like the ambiance. They love the attention. They love the notoriety of being in a relationship and being on a pedestal for someone. And no matter what you do with a person like this, they feel as though you're not good enough for their vagina, so they're going to go and give it elsewhere. These are the type of women that usually fuck up in relationships. They will play the good guy, fuck the bad guy, wind up with a kid, and then go back to a good guy and be mad at him for not taking on the responsibility of the bad guy. Take care of her and her kid. Don't go there. Don't go there. One moment. Now let's talk about some of the sexual deterrents. Yes, there are some. Some women have a way of kind of putting sex on ice in the beginning, as far as conversation about it, or even the prospect of a guy having sex with them. Some women will tell you if they've had an STD before. Yeah, my ex-boyfriend cheated on me and gave me an STD. She's saying this deliberately to discourage you from considering having sex with her anytime soon. And she'll say something like, well, but yeah, but that was all cleared up. But the reason why she brought that up is to keep you at bay. Another thing she may do is talk about how good her ex was in the bed to intimidate you. It gives her the attention of arousal because she knows she has your attention talking about that. And she's also fostering doubt in you about will you be good enough for her. This is a tactic some of them use. But what it's actually designed to do is to lower your expectations of her. Remember, she's bragging about how nice her ex's dick was and everything. She's not bragging about how good a pussy was. That gives you an idea of the way she's thinking. She's insecure about that. And she wants you to be in the same boat with her. If she decides to give it to you. Now, you have some women that honestly feel as though if they have sex with the man, they have nothing else to offer him. And some of these women are valid in their thoughts. And so they prolong having sex as long as possible. They don't want to have it. They're trying to figure out some kind of way of avoiding it. And they like to deflect. Oh, let's go work out at the gym. What she's doing is getting rid of sexual energy there, and you're doing the same. 
Now, she's still having you admire her because she's wearing her gym outfit. But the whole thing is, it's about her attention that she's getting from you. The ball's in her court in this place. All the other men desire her. They're in the gym, and she could also be using you as a pawn to make them jealous. You'd be surprised the ages of people that play these games. They're not just teenagers and 20-year-olds. Because what you have to realize, some people actually have a deficit when it comes down to attention. They didn't get it when they were growing up. Didn't get it in high school. They weren't the prom queen. They weren't the debutante. They didn't get it. And so now they may be in their 30s or 40s and feel as though now I could be the cheerleader that I couldn't be in high school. And see, they're not used to popularity at that age. So they may behave differently. The high school girl, of course, you know, she's flattered by it. But she's already fallen in puppy love with this guy that's the football jock. But now let's say she's in her mid-30s. And she's getting this attention. She may be going for the wealthiest and more successful man in her life. See, if she were to take on this persona when she was in high school, she'd be looking for the guy that had potential. What she's looking for at this age, at 30, is the guy who has success. That's who she's going for in that level. Because now she feels as though she's earned it enough and paid her dues in the past, being that girl that was overlooked. And now she went on and got the body shaper. She went on and got all kind of surgery or worked out at the gym. And she's hot and she now wants to have her day. See, women have control over the whole enterprise when it comes to dating. They don't realize it many times, but they do. They set the pace, tone, everything for when the man is supposed to be in her life and how he's supposed to be there. I'm just telling you fellas about some of the techniques and tactics that some of these women use when they're using sex as a tool and a weapon that's how they do it. Now, you will also have the lady that will tell you up front, no sex, I don't want to hear about it, we're not even going to carry that conversation on. Now, here is the problem for many of them. And this is what I used to do to these type of women in particular. No matter how well the relationship advanced, I will convey to them that I've lost interest in them sexually. They played their trump card in the beginning. Not a problem. I remember one lady in particular I did that with, and she says, well, I don't understand. You men, you guys just got to have sex. I said, well, I never asked you for sex. I know, but, you know, eventually you're going to ask me for it, and I'm going to say no. I said, well, that's okay. We can be platonic friends because other woman will get the dick. 
So you mean to tell me that you would cheat on me? I said, no, I wouldn't have a relationship with you. You'd be my friend. She'll be my woman. You end that shit real quick. Because if you're lame, if you're a guy that allows her to do that, what's going to happen, fellas? You're going to be chasing a carrot on a hamster wheel. And again, the ain't shit guy is going to come in. He'll be able to sleep with her, do everything in the world with her. But she's going to have you as the guy that got to play by the rules. Ultimatums. You're going to run into some women who will say, no sex before marriage. Fine. Hope you find your husband. Because, see, here's the problem that you have, and a lot of women do this. They try to guarantee that their pussy is going to be the best thing to keep you. Like it's a brand of cereal. They'll market this shit. Oh, this is some good pussy. My ex-husband loved my ex-boyfriend. Well, that was your ex-boyfriend. People have different tastes. Just like the guys that talk about, well, you can't handle all this meat. And these women, sometimes look at them like, or please. So, with this, you have to be mindful. Now, there'll be other women that will pussy bomb you. Meaning that on the first date, she's getting busy with you. She's cutting the date short so you can go over to her place or she comes to yours and you're fucking. Now, the reason why she wants to do this in particular, she's doing a process called saturation. If someone's giving you affection, that kind of thing, some people call it love bombing. But what she's doing is she's giving you undue sex, undue praise, undue everything. Because what she wants to do is to overwhelm you and win you over. Now, the downside to this is that they become very possessive after they've done it. Because they got a lot of things to throw in your face. I cooked you food for dinner tonight. I gave you some pussy. I sucked your dick. So she's making you feel as if I've made these sacrifices for you and you've given me nothing in return. And usually it's going to be a high price for that. In the sense of her wanting to move in with you. Whatever it is, it's going to be more expedited than the sex was. She's pushing the panic button because there's something that she has to accomplish and she needs to involve you. Now, you're going to also have women who are going to talk about sex on the first date. But they're going to talk about it in a sense of it being a spectacle. She'll tell you about all the porn sites she's gone on and some of the sexual acts she's seen. And here's the thing you have to remember, fellas. If she's going on porn site looking at those sexual, sexual acts, trust me, a lot of that shit is residing in her that she would like to do. The reason why she's expressing it in a roundabout way, talking about it in like the way she is, is because... She wants to experiment and do those things. But she doesn't want to come out and own it by telling you that. But she's trying to make it a conversation piece so that that will be part of the normal discourse 
of you guys talking so that when you do have sex, you won't be shocked based on some of the things she's already told you that she observed. That's a way of feeling, not feeling dirty. Because there are some women out there that actually look at sex as being dirty. Now, when it comes down to divorcees, oh my goodness. You will find that widows are actually better sexual partners as far as starting out with a relationship than divorcees. The reason being, a widow has gone through the completion of an obligation and contract, unfortunately with the death of their partner or spouse. But what this, what this has done is that she can formally close the chapter of a relationship and compartmentalize. That was my experience with him. And so she can start out new again. Because usually when people are married, they're not happy that their spouse passed away. So she will be dealing with the grief of loss, not the grief of anger as much. And she's still going to have some feelings. She's going to feel initially that it was wrong. God made the wrong decision by taking her partner. She's going to have some resentment in that regard. We have some resentment or some trepidation to even think about being with someone else. Like she's still cheating on the partner even though the partner's passed on. So what does she take away from that? Some of the same values and morals that she had in a marriage. And this is one thing you'll notice with widows. They're going to hold the same standards that they did for their husbands. And this is the thing. They have certain criteria, and it varies from woman to woman, that they're going to have for this guy that's going to come into their lives or even be between their legs. See, but the problem with the divorcee is that if she had a bad divorce, that person's still around. She could still try to redress those problems. She could still try to prove herself. And sometimes she gets in another relationship after a divorce just to prove her ex and wrong. The widow, the widow doesn't have to do that. They're far more adaptable, from my perspective, than the divorcees were. Now, they may be still carrying on disputes. And the divorcee doesn't want to make a mistake again. They don't want to go out there and get used. They don't want to be hurt, especially hurt. They don't want that at all. What they want instead, they want stability. 
and more often than not, they want to have sex. But there's a lot of frustration that you have to deal with with the divorcee a lot of times. The relationship didn't work out. The stresses of trying to keep things together make ends meet. The denial of their own self-desires because they've been catering to someone else. And usually these women want someone to cater to them. They want somebody to love them. And you will find that divorcees have more of a romanticized view going forward of what they want. In other words, they usually want to correct some of the mistakes that were made in the past. Not from the decision they made with the person, with some of the choices they made while in the relationship. Now, this means that you as the guy, you may have to go through a ton of shit with her. And she may not be too pleased if you're one of these guys that may be pushing sex too soon. Now, what you will find with some divorcees, they may classify themselves as a cougar. In other words, what they're trying to do is get social justification in order to fuck at will younger people. That's all it is, that designation for that. And the younger guys are going to blow their back out and go through them until she can't fit in anymore. And the problem with most cougars, they feel empty after that happens. Because, see, they're in a race of trying to stay relevant. They want that young man with that hard penis and that six-pack. She's got to worry about her wrinkling skin. She's got to worry about cankles, cellulite. Because it's all based on physical appearance. Now, the younger women, I'm talking about the 20-somethings, a little bit different with the sexual conversation. They're more open to talk about sex. Reason being, they're in a generation that grew up with technology. So they already know about certain things. They already know that they're not alone in some of the thoughts they have, some of the things that they would practice. Whereas a woman who's in her 40s or 50s who didn't grow up with technology may still see sex as a threat. So it's not as integrated in their lives. It's something that you do with your husband or with your boyfriend late at night. It's something that she wouldn't take on the road with her. She'd be one of these bedroom wives. And that's the difference. We're going to go now in the next segment. And we're going to talk about the second type of politics. 
So we began talking about sex and how it's used in different ways when it comes down to being introduced in a relationship. Control is one main factor that women will use sex for. The control of attention and manipulation to get what they want in exchange to compliance by their partner. I will give you pussy if you behave. Now, this dovetails into our next topic of politics. Now, how does sex relate to politics? Let's look at what the Democratic Party's doing with many of their ads now. Talking about Roe v. Wade. Well, you gotta have sex to have a baby, right? And this is a divisive issue. You have pro-life, pro-choice people. Now, how did they get this way? How did we get into this point in our society where we're dealing with these two different viewpoints? If you notice, it really didn't start until the breakdown of the family, for the most part. And yes, there have been abortions in the past, even as far back during Cleopatra's time and even before that, where they would take elixirs or they would do certain things in order to prevent the child from being born. Now, this is a divisive issue, so divisive that even on certain dating sites, you put up whatever the little badge is on your profile to let the person know that you're pro-choice or pro-life. And so you're filtering people out just based on their premise alone. Now, just like with anything else, you have strata, right? Different levels of things. You have some people that are pro-life, provided that the child is not conceived by incest or rape. You have other extremists that say, nope, no matter what, she needs to have the baby. But let's look at the political agenda behind that. The reason why the extreme right wants to have it where every baby counts no matter what the situation is, because they don't want to be a minority in this country. They want those kids to fill the numbers that they're losing, because there are not that many white kids being born now. Statistically, overall, not as many as before, among all groups, because of one thing. It costs too much damn money now. There's too much of a possibility of having complications. Plus it's expensive. And where they're looking at, especially in the South, is the symbolic nature of 
these white women terminating pregnancies. Now, here's the thing. If the right could just say, hey, white women, we want you to have children. Black women, we don't give a damn what you do. You can keep your parole choice. They would love to have that kind of legislation. And see, this is where they want to go eventually, politically in this country. Back to segregation. Where certain things will apply to certain people, not to others. So, the way they would keep the numbers up, of course, forcing the white women to have more children, so therefore, the white majority would never have to worry about being a minority. And with other minorities, cut the social programs so that, naturally, they would eventually not want to have any more children. But we have to look at the reality of it is, plain and simple. A good percentage of people that are having children out of wedlock or unwanted children primarily are in the South. Less education, fewer resources, and with low income comes low entertainment. Sex in some parts of our society is considered a form of entertainment. They can't afford cable. So what happens? They fuck as entertainment. Now, here's the thing. You will see these divisive things in the political spectrum that will follow along racial lines. You'll see that women, statistically, may go Democrat, especially if they're suburban. White males, usually Republican. Now, this is a difference between feelings and emotions on the right, I mean on the left, and insecurity on the right. Hypersensitivity on one side, insecurity on the other. You see, that's the thing with conservatives. They're insecure. They like the way things are. Why do anything else? We got it made. But I want you to think about it in this context. During the Revolutionary War, who were the conservatives? They were the people that wanted to stay under the crown. They were the people that wanted to stay with the queen, I mean, with the king at that time, King George. The liberals were the Thomas Jeffersons and others who wanted to get away from that way of living. I just find it ironic how these things interact and it's, they've changed over the years. So now the conservative is the patriot and the liberal is the person that wants to protect the Constitution, abide by it, have people come to this country as others have done. So we've juxtaposition. Now, this leads to many arguments and relationships. 
and this is one of the reasons why a lot of you are filtered out when it comes to consideration. Not only are you filtered out based on preferences about, eight, about race, geography, and politics. I know of women right now that have written to the show, a couple of them. California, right here in Nevada, will not date a person from a red state under any condition, whether they were liberal or not, because they don't want to deal with the mindset. There's some women in red states, men in red states, that will not date women from blue states or purple states, because we've become politically polarized on certain issues as it relates to our own existence. So what are some universal characteristics people are concerned with? Gas prices, inflation, housing. Well, a politician, no matter who you send to Washington, within the next 8, 10, 12, 14, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, will not be able to change that. We're dealing with systemic problems now because we are interconnected globally and a lot of people don't quite understand that. So, what happens with politics and the reason why people don't like talking about it is because many people are ignorant about it. You talk to most women, they, oh, I, don't, I don't follow politics, I don't get involved in politics. And many of them who say this are under the age of 40. Because as they get older and things start to really impact them, oh, they get involved in politics. And as we get older, sometimes we become more conservative. We actually go to be more of a moderate, more so than a hardline conservative or a hardline liberal. Because we look for what makes sense. And even within the political spectrum, you have people that are still seeking attention. Men and women do this. They're proud to say they're an independent. Oh, I'm special. I'm independent. And you don't know which way I'm going to vote this time or next time. So I have all your attention. That's right. The news media people are coming to me, asking me, what is my opinion on the election since I'm an independent? And I can shine. Ta-da-da. But here, what it comes down to. A lot of times when we go to the polls, we go because we're angry about something. But let's see, who helps us uh, enhance that anger? Oh, that's right. Those political ads we hear, those politicians that we like that talks about the other side so badly. So, what do we have now? We have people that will put in profiles, no Trumpsters. And you have people from the right and the left agreeing on that. And now people are touting all kind of conspiracy theories and everything else. Now one thing that I found kind of ironic. You have the Republicans talking about immigration and about crime. Not understanding that the guy that went into Nancy Pelosi's house with the hammer was an illegal alien, if I can use that term, or an undocumented citizen from Canada. 
Cancun had overstayed his visa. So, besides looking at the southern borders when they come up with this nonsense, we also need to look at our northern border as well. Shouldn't they, if they're gonna be consistent? Or are they just trying to win an election? And see, that's the problem. When you meet a person with fixed political views, a lot of times, they haven't thought things through. They're only going with the moment, what's popular. If you notice, a lot of women that were upset about Roe v. Wade, if you look at the majority of them have already had their children, had their tubes tied, or can't have any children anymore because they are not, you know, producing any more eggs. But it was one of those legacy rights that existed and came up again. Because in the 70s, oh boy, National Organization of Women and those groups were talking about the women's rights and pro-life, pro-choice was the battle right at that time as well, along with affirmative action and other things. But here's the thing you have to realize. People who don't talk about politics before they get involved in a relationship, what they're actually doing is placating an argument that's gonna come back and bite them in the ass later on in the relationship anyway. Oops. Because people have opinions and views, and by repressing them and saying, oh, we don't need to talk about those just like sex. No, we don't need to talk about sex. And then when you have sex for the first time, you're like, well, I didn't know you want me to stick a pickle up your ass. You didn't say nothing about that along the way. This is what you did on. You always talk about communication. You talk about consideration. Consideration of the fact that you and your partner may be incompatible if you don't communicate. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll meet on the political end. Not necessarily. There was one lady that wrote me and she said that back in 2016, when Hillary lost, she didn't give her husband any pussy for a year because he was a Trump supporter. It depends on how it impacts that person. And some people take politics very seriously. And they shouldn't. But here's the thing. All the rhetoric they talk about what they're going to do in Washington. That senator you send over has 99 more people that have to agree with them. And God knows the same thing goes through in the House. So it's more of a symbolic thing. But these are things we have to think about. One thing that people do talk about in relationships, though, economics. 
but they don't see the link a lot of times between the politics and economics. See what it means, folks, is this. What the Democratic Party has done with the African-American community along with other minorities, let us speak for you. Let us handle it. You need money for more social programs. The Republicans come around until same working class people. Oh, you make 35K a year in Ohio, you're in the middle class. Now this tax cut that they're gonna propose is gonna bring you jobs in your community. And you might get a promotion. And the only thing that tax cut does for that community is nothing. The company goes, gets that tax break and then do buybacks on the stock and start laying off people. They start expanding operations overseas. And remember those jobs that they promised when it came down to right to work? See, most Americans are not educated on economics or politics, political science. They just listen to whatever is told to them. But by design, this nation has never been one for intellectuals or thinkers except for those at the top that had the money in order to persuade people the way they wanted them to think. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, all of those people that helped write the Constitution were not poor. They owned slaves. Some tried to hold the modest uh, reins of life, like John Adams, went back home to work on his farm. But you have to remember, these people had land and resources. The majority of Americans didn't have that. And what happened after this enterprise were established by the British, all the colonies, capitalism was the way to go for us, wasn't it? Not understanding that it had an exploitive nature. Not understanding that the only thing it could give you was a dream, because the reality was you're never gonna be wealthy, for the most part. So they had to foster a sense of optimism to keep you coming to work. And our industries were so undisciplined early on in the 1900s and during the golden age, or gilded age, that we had to put in child labor laws. People sleeping in factories and those kind of things. Now, mind you, we just came out of slavery during that time, where they basically bought the services and life of someone permanently. They didn't have to pay any workers' comp, sick leave, no maternity leave, none of that. And again, they kept white males out of the economy for the most part, out of the wealth. By telling them, oh, they're harmless slaves, they're just working the fields. They'll never be the equivalent of you because you're white and you're special. 
So you have white privilege and social class over them. They don't have laws that defend them. You do. And that, of course, artificially made whites feel empowered. The ones that didn't have the money or the influence or the power. And so in that sense, they felt as though we got to protect our way of life. It wasn't the Southerners' way of life. It was the wealthy, gentrified people out in South Carolina's way of life that lived on those private islands and sent many of those rebel soldiers to go fight for their livelihood. The rebel soldiers, for the most part, if you read upon the Civil War, you find out some of them didn't have shoes. You find out some of them uniforms didn't match. Some of them had to be hand-stitched. The Confederacy was so bad off that they started counterfeiting money because the money was worthless. Arizona thought so little of Confederacy, they only stayed with them for six months. And now it wants to be a red state again, as usual. So that whole philosophy of the Confederate States of America, it really didn't benefit whites or blacks, except for the wealthy. Those Confederate soldiers went and fought, had amputations, came back home, didn't have a safety net. Those Southern white women had to take care of them. The wealthy damn sure didn't. The slave owners damn sure didn't. So they had nothing. And these were the people that could not afford slaves, mind you, that were fighting for this war. They were the Johnny Ribs out there dying for that cause. Because for the wealthy white men who owned tobacco farms and cotton fields to continue to make money. And the South was really hoping that England was going to get involved. Well, what did the UK do? Start escalating the price of the products that they were selling to the South. Because the South actually thought that they were going to make all this money off the cotton industry for England and England's economy was going to crash without the Southern cause of the Southern states in the United States. In fact, England had more cotton than they knew what to do with from the imports. So they were in no rush to back the South because they saw the South was outmanned, it was antiquated. Most of their equipment didn't work. They were fighting with muskets still. It was a poor idea, not thought out well at all. It's more of an emotional thing than anything else. So what happened? The North had the better ports. They could import and export things from different parts of the world much easier. They had better grade of equipment. They were the industrial age. The South was the agrarian agricultural age. That wasn't gonna last. So what are you dealing with? 
You're dealing with old traditions that were conservative in the South and more innovative schools in the North. Now we have to keep in mind, slaves were not treated any better after they were freed by the North than they were in the South. People still discriminated against them. A lot of these slave ab the abolitionists, a lot of them wound up fucking some of the slaves as well. So we have to come to realize that we would love to have a sanitized view of history. But it's her story because those women of those Southern organizations that had all those monuments put up in the 1920s, they were trying to paint a beautiful picture of the South like the Negro was so happy. You know, like Uncle Ramos, zippity doo dah. <laughs> right. And the sad thing about it, some people are still trying to relive those days now in our current day. And this adds to that political chasm. Some people have to have a leader. You know, it was funny, it was a lady told me, she said, well, after Barack Obama was your president, that was your black leader. Donald Trump is my white leader. I'm like, Barack Obama was never my leader. He was president of this country. But he was never my leader. Martin Luther King wasn't my leader. Malcolm X wasn't my leader. Martin Luther King stood up for an injustice. He was like the guy in the room where everybody's funky and he spoke up and said somebody needed deodorant. Doesn't make him a leader. It makes him a man that stood out and spoke for something. What people didn't do back then was take risk. You hear people like Kanye talk about slavery was a choice. Well, in some ways it could have been. Not in the sense that I'm talking about they could volunteer not to go, but where they could have rebelled and died not going but they chose to live, didn't they? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what has happened, and what he was probably trying to convey and what he was trying to say was that we've been so accustomed to being treated like kids and victims, and having those people think and speak for us, and sometimes we can't even hear our own voice. The fear for people on the right has a lot to do with retribution. They're trying to get God on their sides, the Bible in their hands, and the guns in their, on their hip. Because what they're afraid of, they're thinking that the minorities are going to rise up and treat them poorly, just like they were treated. That's the fear. That's the fear. Black men are going to come out and outpopulate the world with all these mulatto babies. That's what they fear. An unfounded fear.
uh, years ago in Australia, there was a perception that being that the Aboriginal people had recessive genes, that they could just go in and outpopulate them just like, it, just like the Spanish did the indigenous people in Latin and South America. But to no credit to Australia, I hate to say it, you guys wound up getting your asses whooped by birds down there because of the damn emu wars. An emu. Our populator. What I'm saying, folks, is we have a lot of differences in this country, and politically, it's just one thing. But when you look at what's associated with it, the socioeconomics implications, the racial implications, you start to see patterns and you see why we're so divided. So when the person goes and checks that box for every other race but black or Hispanic or Asian, they're doing it because they don't want to deal with certain issues associated with those people. They don't want to deal with their causes. They don't want to deal with their plight, their setbacks. They're looking for someone that is in tune with what they're into. Now, here is the other thing, too, we have to come to grips with. Politics has its place in our society. But there have been families that have literally broken up and people are not speaking to each other based on that. Chuck Todd was talking about how he had a Trumpster in his family and he's not going to be around. Because you're dealing with a group of, of irrational people that are hung up on a belief. Some people honestly believe that Donald Trump is the Messiah for the whites. And you're going to run across that. Because, see, what you have to remember is our society was not designed to educate the majority of the population. It was to keep them ignorant, poor, and working. They were supposed to provide a function, just like slaves did. Because they had to always keep people in order to exploit for capitalism to succeed. So these politicians will go to these red states and tell them every time that they're doing something for their best interest and they're not. And one of these days, a lot of white people who are separatists are going to realize they've been used just like slaves were by the same institution. The only thing that's different, <clears throat> they give you a placebo that social status of being white. But outside of that, you look at it. You get discriminated against your own people as well. Just like black people get discriminated by the other blacks. And I'm not saying it's the influence you, you really think about it. You look at the wealth, how it's distributed in this country. You have a contingent of African-Americans that think that white people are wealthy just because they're white. 
And then you have whites that think that black people are getting more than they are because of the fact that they're black and they get special programs and all this other stuff, which is bullshit. Both of you are wrong. But this is what you believe without fact. And see, that's where the problem comes in. Because you want to be right so badly on both sides of the equation that you will go and take it as a belief and say, fuck facts. Just like Donald Trump knew how to contact you, knew how to get in touch with you by realizing that the only thing I have to do is not really stick with the facts, but get them to believe what I say. Because the belief doesn't have to be proven. Then you could take that belief and wrap it up in the Bible and the Constitution, and boy, you got a marketing tool. But you gotta promote fear, they gotta be scared. So let's see. Let's see, the First Amendment could be a thing that they could be scared of losing. The Second Amendment could be a thing that they're scared of losing with the weapons. The third thing could be religion and church being taken out of the schools and anything else that's different from the way things used to be back in 1950, huh, boom, there it is. I got my base. But here's the problem. The problem is gonna to lead to division and divisiveness. You've already seen it in marriages and families that have broken up. And what you're going to start seeing, if you're not careful, what has happened to the African-American family with all these single moms, you may have that same kind of problem on the right. And no amount of guilt, religion, fear will keep those families together. And the reason for that is because of the fact that philosophically when a family's broken, it's broken. See, the philosophy for a lot of black women in the 90s, they could be independent just like the white feminists claim they could be. Except these black women, many of them didn't have an education, many of them didn't have really good six-figure jobs where they could afford to have a child out of wedlock. Many of those women had to depend on social services. I see that same philological impasse, philosophical impasse on the right is taking place. Family members not speaking to each other, husband and wives going their separate ways, disenfranchised white males, just like you have disenfranchised black males. Women are the main people in our society that keep dating within their own race, through all racial, all racial groups. White men and black men are the two groups 
that are more diverse in their dating practices as far as males. Hispanics and Asians usually stay with their own. What is happening here with that? Between the dynamic of blacks and whites? Pretty simple. People are getting frustrated with the same old, same old. They're mixing it up. This younger generation. Because they're looking at every generation before them as being stupid. Or being separate for what? Nobody gains. But this is what we contend with. One moment, folks. makes sex so uncomfortable to talk about in relationships that people try to avoid it. Believe it or not, it has a lot to do with vulnerability, shame, in some cases even blame and guilt because they might have done something in the past and they don't want to be reminded of it. So they might have slept with their ex too soon and their relationship just flattened out to be nothing but about sex you get that a lot from women but here's the thing you have to realize a lot of them thinking they're doing the right thing by the decisions they make and sometimes they make it based on emotions and feelings and when they're not reciprocated they feel hurt and they feel as though they were stupid how stupid could I be? I slept with him on the first date. I slept with him on the fifth date. I should have known better. We should have just been friends. I'm not going to let myself get like that anymore and become vulnerable. It was my fault. But then again, they'll turn it around and make it the guy's fault because he didn't follow suit by falling in love with her as quickly as she fell for him. See, a lot of times when women avoid talking about sex, it has to do with more of what they fear than what they fear of you as the man. As I told you, when I took a woman home after a date, she was a very nice lady, walked her to the door, kissed her hand and wished her a good night, and she grabbed my hand and pulled me close to her, put her arms around my neck and gave me a kiss. And I gave her a kiss back. And she says, you know, you better go because I might take you upstairs and do something I don't want to do. Well, I took that opportunity to shake her hand and walk away. She ran down the stairs, grabbed me by the hand, told me she might regret this. We went upstairs and we had sex on the first date. It had been a long while before she had had sex. So, 
as far as she saw it. Her needs outweighed her rational judgment. Now, the next morning, well, she had a little buyer's remorse. What was I doing? You're probably thinking I'm a loose girl. You're thinking I'm a whore. I usually don't do this. Now, guys, we hear that a lot, don't we? They usually don't do it. You usually don't suck a guy's dick on the first date. I get it. You usually don't tell a guy to come inside you on the first date. I get it. You usually don't tell a guy to eat your pussy on the first date. I get it. All of these things are just roadblocks and obstacles she puts up for herself by telling you what she wouldn't do on the first date. On the date. But here's the thing. It's not the incentive for you to go and try to go forward and push it. But just understand that a lot of those safeguards she has up against you, worrying about you being a man and taking advantage of her, is more set up for herself because some women know they can't control themselves once they get in the bedroom. Once they get physically stimulated, it's on and cracking. They'll get wet. They're tired of using their hands and dildos and vibrators. They're ready to have someone breathing and pumping inside them. They want to kiss them passionately. And you seem to be the right guy because you have the package. And I'm not just talking about the size of your meat, but I'm talking about what she envisions as something that's romantic. Now, by the same token, you also have those carnal women. C-A-R-N-A-L women. And these women are all about gratification. Meaning that they're not going in looking for love. They're going in looking for dick. And even though they might flirt with you and say, well, you know, well we're not going to do anything. We're just going to go out and have a good time. She's saying that because what she wants to do is build the attention towards her and build up the tension between the two of you. Because she wants to be a surprise. So, you take her home. And on the way home, she may take your hand while you're driving the car. Take your right hand and put it in her lap. And then, just a t-shirt, she'll let you put it under her dress. And then she might let you slide an index finger inside her panties. Now, She's going to be one to initiate this. Don't you try it. But see, that woman who's used to doing this method, let her play that out. Let her do that. Don't you try to go in there and do it. Because at any point, she can call foul and say you groped her. Now, here is where you may run into a fork in the road. There are some women that are very horny, and yes, they would love to sleep with you, 
but they don't want to come out that way in the initial stages. They don't want to come out because many women will equate premature sex with desperation. And a lot of them have that issue. But this young lady may just go and do enough just for you to smell what she smells like between her legs on your fingers. In other words, that's a marketing tool for her. So next time, you might get closer. You might get more. But she's also doing this in a way to kind of corner you so that she has your attention and your interest. Now, you'll see this happen with a lot of girls in their teens and 20s. And they might go home after you've taken on the date. They've let you fondle them a bit, kiss them. And then they talk to you over the phone and they're very provocative and they're talking for two or three hours. And the reason why they're doing that is because now they're wet. But they're also thinking about what it would have been like to be with you. But they were afraid because they didn't want to be judged based on that. Now, this is only for some women. On this show, we never use the word all. Because there are more exceptions, but not everything is an exception. So, she may do this. The next date, she may be a little bit more open. Where on the first date, she wore panties. The second date, she may not wear panties. Now, here's also something else you need to consider. There are some women that won't let you put your hands down there, even though you may, she may put your hand in her lap or under her skirt or on her thigh because she may be prone to infection. She won't tell you that. She just won't let you go any further. She'll slap your hand. She may put your hand on her thigh instead of putting it under her skirt or under her dress. Whatever you do, don't advance it. Let her do the advancement. Another thing, sometimes you run across an insecure woman. So take, for instance, you're somewhere where there's some provocatively dressed women. And she may feel as though she has to do something because she really likes you to keep your attention. So she may do something in a provocative way. When Monica and I first started dating, there was this waitress that we had at this restaurant that we went to. And this waitress was very well endowed up top. Beautiful woman. And Monica saw, we just looked at her and saw her and she was like, hmm. When I went to take her back to the house, we sat in the front of her mansion and she looked at me. I looked at her. And she popped out her breast, grabbed my head, and put it right on it. 
there was the semblance of insecurity. I knew what it was. And you have some women that are like that. They want to mark territory and some of them do it sexually. Now, you will also encounter fellas, the over-sexualized woman, because she's been exposed to sex all of her life through different, different ways. Sometimes through molestation, other times through promiscuity, being with a partner that was maybe older that had her doing all kind of freaky things, or through some other sort of sexual abuse. This woman's gonna be kind of over the top, usually. She may say something like, you might get lucky tonight on a first date. Because see, sex to her is affirmation that people really care about her. That's her currency of love. So she feels this. She feels as though if she has sex with you, that that's symbolic of you loving her. And people like this will go and guilt, blame, and shame you if you don't date them after you've had sex with them. Blame. I thought we were a couple after what we did last night. Shame. You made me feel like a fool having sex with you and you weren't going to make that commitment. Guilt. So I guess I'm not going to find anyone that loves me then. And they'll use it in that sequential order. So whether the guy had an interest in her or not, She's kind of, in a way, manipulatively, manip, I can't even get the word out, manipulatively forcing the guy to be with her. And so, he's hanging around for what? He's hanging around for free sex. But unfortunately for her, sex is the currency of love. So, because this guy's still hanging around her for sex, she's misinterpreting that as love. Now, she may have abandonment issues. She may have other kind of issues associated with that, which means that sex to her is part of the routine of your relationship. And the minute you stop having sex with her, the minute you say, hey, let's talk about our relationship, She's going to say, why are you getting too serious? And she's going to give a rubber stamp to anything you suggest so that she can continue to have sex with her because that's where she feels as though she's most valuable. And a lot of these young ladies are over-sexualized at an early age to come up with this disposition. And this is the reason why a lot of them, a lot of you single moms probably can identify with this you go on and want to solidify the relationship with a child because that's going to keep them coming back 
because now he can openly nut inside you. And you'll say something to the effect of, well, I'm on birth control, or I'm taking the shots. I got an IUD. Because women with this mindset know that once they have him ejaculated in her several times over, there's a good possibility she's going to wind up getting pregnant, which she wants to do. Because that, again, gives her a stakehold in his life where he's not going to leave. And plus, that gives her another measure of guilt for him, a child. So the probability is he's going to stay. Even if he goes through the denial phase like most guys do, I want a DNA test. I'm not sure that's my baby. You've been sleeping around with all these other men. And what these women will sometimes do is then go on a public relations campaign with friends, family, and everyone else. Telling them that you're impregnated. And depending on how persuasive her argument is to those folks, she starts to have a whole bunch of allies. And it puts the guy in a bad situation. Especially if he's a mama's boy. Because guess who is the person that's going to stand up and say, that's not your child? Your mama. And once mama is convinced through some sort of empirical evidence, mama's going to turn on you and tell you to be responsible. Now, there are some families that would just go and try to pay you off to go away. But more than likely, they're going to put you in that position. Now, this is some women. Usually, they're younger. Because when you're younger, you think you know everything. And that's what gets your ass in trouble because you, you don't know what you don't know. You just know what you believe. And with a belief, it doesn't have to be factual. It just has to be believed. More in a moment. I would like to personally thank you for listening to Romantic Truth. You may follow us on Facebook.com backslash Romantic Truth. You may ask your friends to subscribe to anchor.fm backslash romantic truth, or you can leave us a message at anchor.fm backslash romantic truth backslash message. You may contact us through email at romantictruthpodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show.
The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.